if you're like me, and I know that's a scary thought, right? But uh, nonetheless, Christmas comes along, and and I, I, like you probably, I enjoy the Christmas lights, I enjoy the trees, the decorations, uh, being with family, lots of things that we surround uh, Christmas season, the Christmas season with. Those are good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, but the truth is, as much as I love my family, as much as I love Christmas lights, as much as I love all the things that we do and the traditions we surround Christmas with, there's not one of those things that can change my life. Not one of those things has the power to transform me or you or anything. And so what we've always got to guard against, you've heard us talk about this before, I've referred to it before, is sometimes we can lose the significance of Christmas right in the middle of all the lights and stuff and the gifts and presents and family. We can lose what it really means and what it, why it is so significant. You see, Christmas, no big surprise to many of you, it's about his story, the story of Christ and here's my hope over the next several weeks as we dig into what the Bible talks about when it comes to Christ born into this world and the potential to be born into your life. Here's my hope is that you and I will allow his story to become your history. His story to become my history. His story to become my story in essence and to do that, I want, I'm going to take a little bit different tact, if you will, on a Christmas series I don't know that I've ever done before. Uh, and I want you and I to look at four gifts that Jesus brought to our lives when God sent his son to be born into this world and only pay the price we needed him to pay. What happened? I mean, what did he bring? What are the gifts he brings? And the four that we're going to look at, beginning with this morning, is first of all, his story of grace. And I want you and I to capture, we spent four weeks on this one topic not too long ago. I want you and I to really capture the grace of Christ when he chose to be born. That is very significant. Number two, we'll look at the following week, next week, his story of redemption. And then finally, the third week, his story of hope, and then on Christmas Eve, his story of life. And I want you and I to, again, see and dig back into and refocus in the midst of the celebrations and things we do, which are, again, are good, and make sure we don't miss, miss the life-changing significance of the birth of Christ, birth into the world and into your life. And I want to start with a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, if you've got your Bible with you. Again, Scripture's always going to be on the screen. And it's, a, it's an unusual passage for Christmas. I'll grant you that, but stay with me. There, there, is a, there is an application here. And the story, in essence, from chapter 8 and 9 in particular in 2 Corinthians is that the believers in Jerusalem were suffering. They were Jewish Christians that were suffering because of their faith in Christ. Many had lost their jobs. Some were being thrown into prison and jail. Some might have even been executed because of their faith in Christ. There was an immense amount of pressure and stress on these Christian Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and they were being forced into poverty. 
So Paul makes this appeal, if you're familiar with this context and the story, he makes this appeal to the Gentile churches outside Jerusalem to help, to take up a collection, a gift of resources, and get it to the Jewish Christians that were being forced into poverty, losing their jobs, and even losing their lives in some cases. And the Corinthian church stepped up. The church of Corinth was generous in terms of getting resources to these believers. But what I want you to see as we go through these four verses is that the grace displayed through their lives, through their generosity, was much more than just meeting a physical need. It had such a bigger impact than that. But it started with their willingness to be inspired by the grace of Christ in their life and be generous. And then God took it from there. Let me see. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 12, Paul said this about the church of Corinth. And by the way, church of Corinth, if you don't know anything about them, they were highly dysfunctional. So there weren't always good things to say about the church of Corinth. But here we have some good news. Verse 12, chapter 9, he says this. This service, what you did, this generosity, he considered it a service, an act of service. He said, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service, the generosity they displayed, by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14, he then says, and in their prayers, in their prayers, the Jerusalem believers, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to, to you because of the surpassing, look at it, grace, God, has given you. And then he says, thanks be to God for who? His indescribable gift. Now look closely at verse 12 to begin with, and I want you to see that their generosity did much more than just meet a physical need. The, the phrase supply the needs is referring in verse 12 to those needs. It's referring to a deficit in the lives of the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. In other words, they were being forced into poverty, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> into poverty, and that that these people, these Corinthian believers, were filling the gap. They were literally meeting a need uh, in the midst of the poverty, but it was more than just that. The word or the phrase in the New Testament also refers to the fact that they not only supplied their literal need, their need for resources for help, it also meant and emphasizes the fact that they supplied encouragement and hope. You ever feel isolated? Certainly, we, we know something about that during the, the pandemic, the last almost two years now, right? 
People have gotten isolated. And there's no doubt that the Jewish Christians felt isolated from the body of Christ, from hope and encouragement. So their generosity, God was able to use in a much deeper way than just simply a physical need being met. He supplied through them, through their willingness to be generous, he supplied encouragement and hope. Now, we could just stop there, right? That could be the whole sermon right there in that one verse. How many people around you does God want to use you to supply encouragement and hope during this season? Because some people are having a hard time during Christmas, right? Come on. Some people have lost. Some people have, are grieving. Some people are, you name the list. Where will God use you during this season to bring some hope and encouragement into the life of another. He will if you're watching, right? Yeah. If we're willing to be generous, he will use that generosity. But he goes even further. I want you to see this closely. Look at verse 12. He says, this service that you perform, this act of generosity is serving, and it is supplying the needs of the Lord's people in Jerusalem, the, the, the believers there. And then he says, but... <clears throat> but is also overflowing in many expressions to whom? To God. So not only are they making a difference in other people's lives, and some of which they never met before, by the way, but now they're blessing God himself. Their life is an act of gratitude to God himself. Now that phrase, many expressions, means superabundance of superabundance of what gratitude to God and it emphasizes in their generosity not only quantity they were willing to sacrifice for others but it also emphasizes quality meaning that they were willing to get involved you see God does not call you and I just to be generous with our resources we have our money he calls us to be generous with our lives he calls us to be generous with our time and our treasure. And that's the picture here. These believers in, in, in the church of Corinth were willing to be generous with both. And, and it, it emphasizes the fact that they went beyond the expected norm of the culture. So in other words, the world that did not know Christ around them were looking at that and going, whoa, I can't believe they're willing to do such things for others possibly they'd never even met in their life and to make a difference in their life. Now, other places in the New Testament, and I'll move more quickly here, he, he goes on, Paul does, and says, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, all this is for your benefit. All what? He's talking about how they're ministering to the church of Corinth, how Paul and others were being generous to the church of Corinth. So the church of Corinth have experienced what they're now doing. And so Paul says, all this is for your benefit, so that what? So that the grace that is reaching more and more people, making a difference in other people's lives, may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the what? The glory of God. So it all ends up where it ought to be, right? It all doesn't honor the church of Corinth, it honors God. It brings honor to him. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. He said, may the Lord make your love increase. May he increase your love and overflow for whom? Not just him, but for each other and for everyone just as ours does. Now, what does this have to do with Christmas? 
Let me show you. Here's the number one or first applications application. If you and I really get Christmas, listen, come on. If we really understand what Christmas is, number one, what I see here is it will inspire you and I to give rather than focus on what we can get. Now, you know this, we live, parents in particular, we live in a culture when it comes to Christmas that emphasizes what? Getting, not giving. What's under the tree for me? What is Santa going to bring? And I'm not against all that stuff, so don't hear me. I'm not preaching against anti-Santa Claus, okay? I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is that as a believer, a follower of Christ, as a parent, grandparent, uncles, aunts, influencers of the next generation, we've got to really put the focus on where it ought to be if we're going to get Christmas. If we're really going to understand the significance of Christmas, we too need to arrive at the same place of generosity and let His grace inspire grace in and through our lives. Now look at the second part, verse 13. He then goes on to say, because he said this three times. Did you notice that? He is calling their generosity what? Service. A willingness to serve. He says, because of the service by which you have, now look at this, have proved yourselves, which, which others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. Now, let me go back to that phrase, proved yourselves. That comes from a word in the New Testament that means to test. And it means to see if something is reliable and trustworthy. So what is Paul saying? By being inspired by the grace of Christ and being willing to be generous with and reaching out to a people that were hurting and were suffering, you proved your faith is genuine. It's the real deal. James says what? Faith without works is what? Good, you know it, dead. It's a corpse. It is not worth a plug nickel. That means nothing if you don't know what that means. It is worthless. And so what we see with the church of Corinth is that Christ, the grace of Christ, was not just something they understood. It was something they were becoming. The grace of Christ inspired them to make a difference and to be generous in the lives of others. And I love this part. You've heard me say this a million times here. <clears throat> it is not what you know, but what you do with what you know that changes things. And that's what you see right there in that verse. Because he says, your faith has been proven. It's the real deal. It's genuine. And because it's been proven, you, you showed through your obedience that it aligns with your confession of Christ. In other words, you're not walking around claiming that Christ is Lord and not living that way. Now, nobody's perfect, but, and certainly the Corinthians were not, but they were an inspiration when it came to choosing to be generous, to be inspired. So what's the second Christmas application today? Well, the first one is when you and I truly get Christmas, when we truly get it down to the core and we understand the significance of the birth of Christ into this world and into our lives, he will cause us to give rather than focus on what we can get. But number two, he will inspire you to serve and share <clears throat> when the opportunity arises. You see, 
there's a, a term here that is important to note as we'll get down into the, the verse 13 deeper. And I almost skipped over it. I don't want to. The word share. That word sharing at the end of that verse, verse 13, is the, the New Testament word that some of you have heard, koinonia. And it is typically translated fellowship. And what he is using that word for is that what has occurred is not only have they brought honor to God through their faith, that their faith has been proven as the real deal and genuine, but they have developed a deeper community between the Gentile believers in Corinth and the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. There's a genuine community. In other words, they're not just a church, they are the church. They have developed with one another a deeper community. And that's what God does when we choose to live out of grace. Now look at verse 14. I'll wrap it up with verses 14, 15. Look at the impact of their generosity, of their willingness to be generous. Verse 14, he says, And their prayers, now he's talking about the believers in Jerusalem. In their prayers for you, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing look grace God has given you. So they recognize where this is coming from. It's not by human endeavor. It's the inspiration of Christ. Now, what is so significant about verse 14? The fact that the Jewish believers in Jerusalem would be praying and have a heart for the Gentile believers in Corinth. It doesn't mean a big deal to you and I as much, but it's a real big deal in that day and time. Here's why. The culture of the time had spent centuries building walls between Jews and Gentiles. They did not like each other. In fact, the Jewish Christians sometimes looked down their noses at the Gentile believers. And so there had been walls built for a long period of time between two people that were coming from completely different cultures. The, the Gentiles were coming out of the Greco-Roman pagan culture, and the Jews, by and large, were coming out of the law, the, the culture of almost legalism of the day. So they're coming from two... You ever met people coming from two different worlds? Have you got people in your neighborhoods that are coming from different world that you grew up in? Man, I can tell you, I've got a mission field popping up all around my neighborhood that I'm trying to figure out, and I'm praying God give me insight on. We are coming from two different places. But you know what's so awesome about this story? Christ tore down the walls. Christ, I love it. He tore down the walls that they had spent centuries building. And do we have divisions today? Hello? Do we have people coming from two different places that have built walls between one another today? Yes. The same Jesus can bring those walls down too. I've seen it. The same Christ can tear down those walls and he did it in his day. He can do it today. But it comes down to who Christ is. Christ has got to do that work. We can't figure it out ourselves quite clearly throughout history. So what we see is application number three that I want you to notice is that their generosity was not something that was compartmentalized or something that was kind of created on their own. It was spontaneous. It, 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 they saw the need and they were just inspired to do something. 
They were inspired because they saw the need and the opportunity to make a difference. And that's what I, I, I see here. You see, when we really get Christmas, Christmas Christ will inspire you to be graceful to people on a spontaneous basis. You're not going to have to form a committee and think about it. You're going to see the opportunity and you know that God in that moment is leading you to do something. Whether that something is an encouraging word, whether that something is taking the time just to listen to a hurting person, whether that something is to give resources to meet a need. I've seen that happen in this body. You are a generous people, and I'm grateful to serve here in part because of that. You will respond. I've seen it happen. And, and the truth is when we really get Christmas, we're going to respond. Grace is not going to be something we just understand. It's going to be something we become. We are going to extend grace into the other, other people's lives. Now look at verse 15. Paul lands the plane on this. and I love how he lands it. You know, after talking about the Corinthian believers and, and complimenting them through this whole passage, you would think that Paul would say, praise be to God for the believers, right? But that's not what he said. Look at verse 15. Here's where he lands. Thanks be to who? Not the Corinthian believers. Thanks be to God for the indescribable gift. Now that word gift, by the way, means a gift you cannot earn. Christ is the gift you cannot earn, right? Come on. That word is used only all the time in the New Testament to refer to supernatural gift, gift from God. So my friend, whoever you are this morning, if you're going to get Christmas, the one thing you've got to get and the one thing we've got to remember as believers is I can never earn his love. He gives it to me and I either receive it or I walk away from it. His grace hands me an opportunity for a different kind of life, a transformed life. And I either receive the gift or I walk away from it. And to passively ignore it is the same thing as walking away from it. And so Paul ends up where all the inspiration comes from. And he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, because it's inspiring a people to live so differently. So the final Christmas application, if you will, is not only that, that his grace will inspire you and I to give, serve and share and be graceful in, a, in, a, in a, all moments where that is in front of us, but ultimately, you know, if you get Christmas, listen, come on. If you hear nothing else, wake up from your nap just for a moment and hear this. If you and I really get Christmas, we will be inspired to be grateful as a norm, not just on December 25th. <laughs> it will be a way of life. We will look around even in the worst of times and we will know that he's still good. We will always be grateful because no matter how hard things get, there's always more than enough to be grateful for. That's, that's the grace life. That is his story of grace. And I love how this one author wrapped up this passage. I could not have said it better. He said, our generosity is not a decision to participate in the projects of the church, but an expression of the fact that we are the church. That is, we belong to God, and hence, we belong to one another. 
And that's what I love about this story. Because it not only developed a deeper meaning and relationship with Christ, but in the process, God caused, Christ caused them to develop a deeper meaning and community and relationships with one another. You have this, according to God's word, you're going to have that. Both are connected. And so my question for you and I as we look at the Christmas applications is do you get Christmas or have you gotten distracted by good things? Do you and I really understand and are we really celebrating the story of grace that is Christ in our lives?